0: i'm megan and welcome to winging it it's here that we challenge the common misconception that everybody looks like they know what they're doing here we will break boundaries in the industry and bring us together as creatives we will chat all things creative confidence imposter syndrome and creative journeys thank you for joining and enjoy the podcast Today in this episode, I am joined with Katie. Hi, Katie. Hello. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. It's really lovely to have you as a guest. Thanks for having me. No worries. So you describe yourself as a multidisciplinary graphic designer, um, particularly in branding. You are currently freelancing as a design director. How and how, is that correct?
1: Yeah, I just finished up there actually. Um, it's really lovely, and I'm jumping back to work with Koto in a couple of weeks' time.
0: Oh, nice! Um, it's actually quite recently you've moved over from um, Australia, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, like two and a half years out there working at design studio in their Sydney, in their Sydney studio. So yeah, I've only been back since. Well, actually, it's probably been three or four months now, but. Um, yeah back in time for a lovely summer so it's yeah. great timing.
0: Lovely I um I followed you whilst you were out there but you moved over there at a really scary time you were over there during lockdown what was that like?
1: Very bizarre I think it's difficult to separate the two right because it was a weird time for everyone mm-hmm. but it was a really difficult time to, to start a new life yeah uh, difficult to create friendships and community and all that periphery stuff but a brilliant well theoretically a scary time to start a new job you know the job market was super unstable Mm -hmm. Uh, last in first out they always say but DS (laughs) were great at kind of saying your job is safe and uh, my studio mates and my colleagues became my family because I didn't know anyone Mm -hmm. and everyone I knew was on a different time zone so a weird time uh, but also a brilliant time to kind of get to explore a different country a little bit and even though they were very strict there I lived by the beach so you know swings around (laughs) a (laughs) house
0: yeah is there any particular reason why you decided to move back because I think that was a bit of a shock for me because it seemed like it was all apart from the lockdown it all seemed like rainbows and fairies over there
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's classic Insta highlights, isn't it? Uh, I think that uh, sort of practical reasons, really. All my best friends and my sister are getting married, missing massive milestones and the thought of having to choose, you know, which of these people that I really care about am I going to travel back for? I can't do it all. Mm. And coming back for two weeks after you've been away for, you know, nearly three years, doesn't feel like it's going to hit the spot anymore so and I just think that perhaps we struggled to find that kind of community and I struggled to find that like design community which I know does exist over there I'm not saying it but just at the time I went it was really tricky to kind of bed in Um, and I think my time at DS kind of naturally came to an end and you have to commit to another kind of big chunk of time with your visa Mm -hmm. so yeah, we just decided it was a really good time to, to come back.
0: Would you tell me a bit about your education journey where you maybe started off to probably where you left maybe just before uni?
1: Mm. Um, so I moved around a lot during my childhood, so I didn't really have that kind of... Um, it was probably year eight, year nine when I first mm-hmm. went to a school where I stopped still. And I grew up in um, just a tiny village in South Wales where quite a lot of people either went to work in uh, Wilkinson's distribution Mm. warehouse or the brewery or the steelworks or uh, Admiral Insurance (laughs) in Cardiff. And, um, you know, that that was school was very much like gearing you up to join a good company or learn a trade and my school definitely didn't push arts. It probably pushed drama the most, which I did a little bit of, which I think is actually one of those weird periphery skills that you need as a designer, certainly when you're like presenting work and doing the big sell jazz hands to clients. Um, and then I, my sixth form wasn't really offering any creative subjects. So I went to college in the valleys, which was an hour and three quarter bus journey to get there. And I did, uh, what did I do? Graphic design, English language, IT and photography. So again, they're like all periphery skills of design. Um, And I only found out about graphic design and design through my, I don't even know where I first heard the term,
0: honestly i don't either actually
1: yeah it's kind of weird like some people can really pinpoint yeah exactly where they heard it like you knew someone but i definitely didn't know a single designer i won a logo competition in year seven so i'm like wondering if maybe (laughs) it was around that time for the local youth club it's actually so (laughs) lame it's called the zone um (laughs) but yeah so i went to the careers kind of coach or officer he got like one appointment in year 10 Mm -hmm. And I said this phrase to her graphic designer and she had this big book of jobs and she had to like go to it to read it. Mm-hmm. She didn't know what it was. Yeah. So I was kind of blindly fumbling towards this thing. Yeah. But I didn't know if it was right. And it, everyone was pushing mm-hmm. for me to go in different directions really. So it really, really wasn't until probably three or four years into the job that I thought actually that I made the right choice there but it was quite disjointed way of getting there I guess.
0: I can really relate to um, even the subjects you did at sixth form I actually did the same I went out out of my way because there were no sixth forms or colleges near me that really specialized in arts so I went about an hour away Um, to do graphic design at sixth form, um, specifically because I did that course. Mm. Um, And I also did English and psychology, but I feel like they really fed into each other. I think I've been speaking about this actually on the previous episode, that it's really sad that even back then when I was at school, those creative subjects weren't pushed at all Mm. or encouraged. Um, The only one that probably was was maybe drama and um watching my siblings go to school they're not even an option anymore it's just it's really sad because it, people are missing out
1: it's actually really um like ignorant almost because yeah. the creative industry is huge it's such a massive part of mm-hmm. our economy it's now one of those industries that can be fully remote yeah um, it's it's booming and it makes up a huge part of our workforce and i'm not saying yeah. you don't need people to go into Trades and you know I'm, but it's a kind of oversight not to
0: mm.
1: educate because I, from what I've been seeing over the last couple of years, there's a lot of people retraining or mm-hmm. going to places like Shillington and learning and leaving their kind of tr- more traditional job. So I think that's a real indication that we're failing people in education, yeah. that they have to wait until they're earning money so that they can off their own back start training and then they're coming into the industry much later um I'm glad they are but yeah I think it kind of it's a bit indicative of what's going on in schools
0: yeah definitely I think I also struggled to kind of explain what that term graphic designer was to my family as well because Mm -hmm. I can also relate to you that everybody from where I grew up they do go to the same sort of similar places you you mentioned um, and design is this strange sort of world that nobody really knows about. I wondered if you had that maybe same experience like me where you felt a bit like a bit of an outsider or struggled to maybe explain it to people what you wanted to do?
1: Yeah, uh, I think I have maybe stopped trying to explain the kind of every day of what what I do because mm-hmm. it is so varied and it really suits me and I think it can it can kind of come across as a bad thing if you like to do lots of things yeah. and I think really good designers are really good at doing lots of different things I've, obviously I've like worked with people who are almost art directors or yeah. could botch out 12 logos in half a day Mm -hmm. And they're amazing skills to have and be had. But to actually, in my mind, a graphic designer is so much more than that. So it's about real technical competency, right? Really understanding IT. And it's about confidence and presenting. And Mm -hmm. it's about social skills and understanding people and being able to communicate. It's about being able to write. It's about being able to curate. Uh, So it's impossible to describe that to people and I think working for big studios has always helped me as like an immediate in so like working for DS is a easy one they work in big branding they've done brands like the Premier League
0: Mm -hmm. Airbnb
1: Deliveroo and people like immediately get it so Mm -hmm. that helps um but I don't really mind that people don't understand what I do to be honest, <laughs> because it is really nuanced and it does change every day. And if it wasn't like that, I think I'd be really bored.
0: Definitely. I think it's all about really believing in yourself and staying true to yourself, which is what I've started to learn already. And I think as a very recent graduate from Falmouth, I think mm-hmm. they really encouraged all of those things that you were just talking about. Um, you are a f- Um, and also a Falmouth graduate from a few more years ago than me do you think that um, maybe that's something what drew you maybe to go to Falmouth it's it still
1: baffles me that I went to Falmouth in the first place I think maybe there was a part of it that I wanted to be as far away from Wales as I could be (laughs) Um, don't tell my (laughs) mum so I think that was part of it and I don't think they'd mind me saying this that when I went, the facilities, you know, were really not great. They they were in had planning permission for completely new building for design. We were in kind of scrappy area. There weren't that many computers. You know, um, there wasn't much. It, it didn't seem that appealing. And also, Falmouth's pretty sleepy, and I, you know, I wasn't sure about it at all. And then I heard John Unwin, who was course director at the time talking about the power of design and it was the first time I'd heard I'd been to a few different open days by then not about the facilities and not about the technical capabilities and not about what they were going to teach you and about the values and the morals that they were trying to instill Mm -hmm. and that they're empowering people to think that creativity can change the world and I was like all right cool I'm going to go there and if I don't get in I literally said if I don't get into Falmouth I don't think I'm going to do this because it's like Mm -hmm. I'm a bit I'm a bit like that like if I think that's the best place to go and I don't get in there then I'm like well well, I'm not good enough so I'm not going to do it um but luckily I got in god knows how
0: that's so funny because I was exactly the same actually I I had the same sort of experience when I went for I think it was an open day as well and I had to go to my what was called a progress coach at sixth form and I had to have a backup and I said well I don't want to back up because if I don't go Mm. to Falmouth I'm not going anywhere Mm -hmm. but um yeah it is really interesting that they made me definitely feel like I had a place or I actually felt like I belonged somewhere that Mm. I could change the world with design whereas when I went to other places perhaps that were maybe a bit bigger or had more facilities it no matter how many of those things they had compared to Falmouth, it was all about what they were telling me.
1: Yeah, it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because I think when you're just focusing on one subject, like in school, it's all about the doing and it's all about proving that you can do. Whereas at Falmouth, it was very much like, you'll learn how to do it later. We're going to teach you the theory and we're going to empower you. And it's all about ideas and you know, I look back on my portfolio. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, I, I see portfolios all the time. Mine was not as good as the portfolios that I see.
0: Yeah. But
1: there was an ability and some creative directors also have this ability to be able to see past execution completely and understand someone's passion and their ideas, um, what they, how they think. And Falmouth really focuses on that. So you come out maybe without these like, tangible skills Mm -hmm. it's kind of weird you leave with like a car full of hope and ambition and optimism (laughs) and then it's like right what am I going to go and do with this but if you're not optimistic at that point in your career Mm -hmm. then I you know what is the it's not you're never going to be an optimistic person I think
0: yeah I'm interested to know if you felt like you had maybe a plan after uni because I definitely didn't I only kind of Realize what sort of maybe part of design that I really wanted to get into, probably even mm-hmm. in the last term of my third mm-hmm. year at uni.
1: I definitely had visions of what I wanted to go into. Mm-hmm. I knew yeah. I didn't want to do packaging, that's the yeah. one thing that I don't possess. Well, look, I haven't done it for years, maybe all of a sudden I could do it, maybe, but yeah. I had a completely disastrous packaging brief, <laughs> so that ruled out any packaging agencies. Um, I it's kind of the same as going to Falmouth. I really wanted to work in one of these huge agencies, agencies that mm-hmm. everyone was aspiring to. And I did, um, I did an RSA brief, which I won, and that kind of um, led to a chain reaction of placements. So I had quite a lot of placements lined up and everyone was quite cagey. Like my, my, my year group, there was some tension there about that. Mm. And i I sort of I, I, I kind of had what I wanted and then felt really uncomfortable with it. That's interesting. Um, and at the time, the partners were like the one to the agency to be at. Yeah. and I had a placement at the partners. And to me, I thought that'll be it. I'm gonna mm-hmm. give that my all, and that's the best of the best, and I'm gonna work there. Yeah, so I really thought I had it made, but actually it mm-hmm. did not go down like that. <laughs> all. um yeah I think that and this is the bit of the journey that people don't really talk about is
0: mm.
1: having the right to change your mind so I did a mm. placement with Jamie who just started Supple Studio he would only been going about six months mm-hmm. and um he'd moved from London he co-founded Magpie Studio but left and moved to Bath to be closer to family and raise his kids mm-hmm. here And I did a placement with him first because he gave me my placement before I won RSA and I loved it. And he was working on, I wonder if I can say this. I will. (laughs) Channel four rebrand pitch at the time. Um, Sorry, Jay, if I'm not allowed to say that. And, um, you know, he's doing this amazing work from essentially a cupboard in in a studio in Bath. And I was about to leave that and go on to my placement of the partners mm-hmm. and then coupled with that I met my now husband in Falmouth mm-hmm. and he's a boat builder it, you know London we could we could and never can have been able yeah. to reconcile the two maybe now we can mm-hmm. but he can't do that work from the a capital city like that so yeah. that was this other factor that I'd never heard anyone talking about like Mm -hmm. considering the rest of your life in those kind of decisions. So I emailed uh, Brian who was my third year tutor and said, look, Jamie offered me the job, but he said, I understand if you want to go off and you want to go and do your placement Mm -hmm. with the partners. But if I have someone in after you, you know, I, I can't say I'm not going to offer them the job too. Yeah. So I emailed Brian and said, I didn't tell him, oh, well, I love this boy and he would get better off the bus. <laughs> I didn't tell him that part of it. But I said, these are the two like options. I've been offered this opportunity. No yeah. one knows who Supple are. Mm-hmm. It will just be me and Jamie. I'm not going to get that yeah. big studio, big name thing that I thought I wanted. Um, but also I'm loving it and it feels like wrong mm. to turn this opportunity down. What should I do? Um, and he had a really similar beginning to that and he said i think it's a really good opportunity and i think you should take it yeah so i did so i i had a plan and then all the best laid plans it it fell by the wayside so mm. it's all well and good i think it's good to have goals but it's also really important to allow yourself that flexibility and opportunity to react to things because yeah. what i thought i wanted I mean I could have gone to the partners and loved it we'll we'll mm. never know but I wouldn't change the I wouldn't change the decision I made anyway
0: yeah that's so great because I even though I haven't done those next steps yet after uni it's just it's really interesting to think about that there I've definitely felt those pressures against my um colleagues at uni there was those big pressures that what were you doing if you weren't going to like the big the big companies Mm. but then when you actually sit and think about it some some of those values aren't other people's values and when people say that oh I might take a break for a bit or I might go and work for a smaller studio it's it's kind of feels like it's not as represented as well and it's it's really Mm. interesting there's this strange pressure that I didn't think there would be but yeah
1: is it still that way because I feel like those kind of like big agencies that were there when I graduated I don't know they don't feel as prominent now
0: it is really interesting especially as after the lockdowns I think people are really starting to think about like you like you was about their life where they want to work um maybe a few steps in the future and people are really thinking about remote working Mm. um but Personally for me we had a lot of guest lecturers definitely throughout my third year and the big brands that came in they weren't actually as impressive as they thought they were the kind of morals and things they were talking about it was just all very intense whereas the smaller companies seemed to really value as a person Mm. and I really liked that about them Um, so I think it's slowly changing but there is still that kind of conflicts or perhaps a sense of competition which I was actually Mm. really surprised about
1: yeah and it's mad because it all it all evens out and like as you get a few years in you look across to your peers and you see them succeeding and you're like good for you but at the time maybe that's a farmer thing maybe that's a Mm. everywhere thing but it felt really competitive towards the end of my degree which was a shame because in other universities I know that that's when people pair up and Mm -hmm. that's when people collaborate and that's how people make connections to start their own studios and I didn't feel that in my cohort at all maybe that was me you know maybe (laughs) I maybe I was a competitive one like I don't you know I was not fully formed as a human being yet so I (laughs) that could have come from me who knows
0: I think I was maybe the same I think there's still that element I think that's that's still there it still Mm. feels quite secretive in a way people don't really talk about what jobs they were going for or somebody might slip out that they've done an internship over the summer we think oh we we didn't know about that but Mm. I, I kind of wish it was perhaps a bit more supportive
1: yeah well there's enough room for everyone I think that's the that's the kind of narrative that's maybe getting a bit tired in the industry is there aren't enough jobs, there's not enough opportunities. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's true. No, not at all. So, you know, I just think maybe it's just an old narrative that that hasn't gone all the way down to Cornwall yet. Yeah,
0: possibly. It's a long way down. Are you surprised at your career so far? Because you have already talked about that perhaps this isn't where you thought you might be um but I wondered if you ever thought that you might move to Australia one day (laughs) definitely not
1: that's such a nice question I am surprised at my career
0: Hmm. I
1: think uh I'm kind of proud when I look back on just kind of rolling with it and making choices in the moment so like given the opportunity to go to Sydney it kind of came about in a sort of odd way. It's sort of decided I wanted to leave supple. And if it hadn't been my first job, I probably would have stayed forever, mm-hmm. but I needed to go and see, I still had that partner's itch to scratch, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I'd learned a lot and I felt like I wasn't learning at the same rate anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I actually told Jamie, and that's another thing is like, you're not supposed to tell your boss <laughs> when you're thinking of applying for a new job and yeah. it, I asked so many people and they were all like don't tell him that's a disaster find the <laughs> job first and I just said I couldn't bear if he found that out from somebody else
0: mm, so yeah. my
1: whole career I've just kind of gone with my gut and mm. it hasn't always panned out maybe but at least I don't have regrets on how I handled a situation so I told him he was such a good egg about it Aww. and I started looking for other jobs and it was like i mentioned my husband's a boat builder Mm
0: -hmm.
1: back then remote working wasn't really a thing this is pre-covid
0: yeah
1: so we were looking for somewhere that had a capital city on the coast
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so san Fran. yeah sydney copenhagen was an option amsterdam was an option Mm -hmm. sydney actually wasn't an option it's so far away yeah uh and then a recruiter heard i was looking they got in touch Said DS were looking for a senior.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's obviously the complete opposite of supple. So I just went for it. um Obviously, my husband was on board working on Sydney yeah. Harbour is like mm-hmm. pretty peak for yeah. boat building. So I, that is surprising. And it's surprising mm-hmm. that I came back and it's surprising that I went freelance. And all of it is just quite surprising. It's mm-hmm. a great word for it. Yeah. And I think you just, you just have to roll with the punches a little bit. Mm-hmm. By man, that I'm in that point in my career now, where I feel really comfortable with what I offer and what my skill yeah. set is, and I, I'm starting to understand myself so much better
0: mm-hmm. as a
1: designer, as a manager. So, yeah, it's easy to maybe be quite rose-tinted about it right now because I feel mm-hmm. really happy and really content Um, because I feel like I've been grafting so so hard for like a decade Mm -hmm. and now I feel like I'm finally seeing the rewards and feeling confident and Mm. so yeah uh, but if you look back on it it's certainly not the path I would have drawn for myself.
0: Yeah that's so lovely to hear that you feel that you're in that stage now Um, I think that's really reassuring for people of my age to hear Mm. but I wondered if that notion of listening to your gut and being in the moment. I wondered if that's something you've perhaps learned or lent in with with age or if you had any tips about how to try and do that because I've, I think that's really hard to do especially as you're just stepping into the industry <laughs> mm. yeah
1: but it's one of those things that you can't really teach or just learn because you want to
0: yeah
1: I think I've just gone with my instinct and often I ask someone's opinion they Mm -hmm. tell me it and I go cool thank you I'm not going to do that (laughs) so I'm like I'm just wasting everyone's time yeah Uh, and I do just follow I do just follow what feels right but that's probably more a personality thing I'm very emotional Mm -hmm. and very reactive as a person I'm not Super logical. I always roll with my heart, not my head. Yeah, uh, which gets you into scrapes. But mm-hmm. like I said, what's the worst thing that can happen if you go with what feels right for you?
0: Mm-hmm. If you
1: go with what feels right and it's wrong, okay. At least I kind of was true and I was authentic. Yeah. And if you go with what someone else said to do and go against your own judgment, and then it's it turns out wrong. Yeah. then you have kind of regret over how yeah, you handled it or feeling yeah which is so much worse to me um mm-hmm. and I think I just have always felt like well there's risk both ways I play it and I'd rather take the risk on myself mm-hmm. than. so that's sort of how I've always how I've always approached it but as I've gotten gotten older I can see that that works for me Mm -hmm. I can see that that's the best way that I kind of tackle things. But like I turned down a job in uni, which is something that other people don't talk about really. Like it sounds awful. It sounds so bad to say like I had an opportunity and I said no, but it didn't feel right. And even though there was so much fear mongering of you're not going to get a job, there's no opportunities out there. It felt like you had to jump jump at the first thing that came along, but it wasn't right for me yeah so I just I went with my gut I don't regret it I probably did regret it for a bit yeah and then but now I I'm kind of glad I did so yeah It maybe it's all hindsight I think I probably roasted it all a little bit <laughs>
0: it's been a little while I wonder if you could tell me a bit about your upcoming NDA podcast which is very exciting but I wondered (laughs) if you could tell us about what we can expect from that.
1: Yeah so NDA is the podcast I think I've been waiting to hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, I certainly never saw myself as a podcaster, certainly never had any time to be a podcaster Um, and there are some great creative podcasts out there but all the best Design commentary is sort of happening on Twitter, and it's like yeah. it can be a bit of a poisonous place, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, it's really hard to hear tone. And you know that classic, like how internet conversations descend. Yeah,
0: um,
1: I love this industry. I love mm-hmm. being in a studio, and I love good discussion about the things that are wrong. There yeah. are lots and lots and lots of flaws <laughs> in this industry. And I just was waiting for this space to hear about them Mm -hmm. anyway. So it doesn't come along. And I had this idea. I've probably had it hidden in the notes app on my phone for the last two years. And then also rapidly coming up to my 30th birthday. And I've never done a side project. Mm -hmm. I've always been hustling so hard for the agencies that I've been working for killing it over time really like working Mm -hmm. myself to the bone for them and I don't I'm glad like that's just um, I'm glad that I did that but I was like wow, I'd love to do something for me Mm -hmm. so there was actually one particular debate on Twitter that made me launch yeah and it was uh, Johnson Banks Michael Johnson posted a job ad Mm -hmm. and they didn't put the salary range on Oh. someone kind of replied and said very kindly how th- like why mm-hmm. there should be arranged um I'm not saying that how the conversation ensued was positive mm-hmm. it really wasn't and uh but there were some really really interesting points like uh Johnson Banks was saying we're not looking for one particular role we're looking for one person so the yeah. salary changes depending on them yeah. We work for not for profits and charities. We can't compete with the likes of yeah. DS and Super Union and Koto. It doesn't mean I necessarily agree with mm-hmm. that point of view, but no one was listening to the counter-arguments because it was all being had in just the most disrespectful way. Oh, wow. And I thought I want to talk about this. I want to have these discussions in a way that's positive.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm
1: rambling, but yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the start of NDA. So season one is definitely um, getting the wheels turning, mm-hmm. finding people to go on record and be opinionated tends to mean you have to talk to creative directors. And that's the other part that I kind of hate about our industry is you only ever hear from the people at the top who typically mm-hmm. tend to be white male. So I'm trying to find that balance of having those people that are privileged enough to be able to have an opinion, but also hearing from grads and juniors, mids, people from project management, strategists, mm-hmm. copyrights, yeah. you know, like everyone on the periphery. So the, yeah, season one is almost done. And then that's going to be coming out every Wednesday and we're going to be talking about things like uh what it's like to be working class in the industry Mm -hmm. why no one talks about money Mm -hmm. what it's like to have a bad manager some of those like sticky topics is what we're going to be chatting about so fingers crossed everyone um everyone enjoys it
0: i'm sure they will because i know that i would have definitely have liked to have heard that especially going through uni or maybe even younger but I think that's really nice that you've almost given that to yourself as as an older version of you Mm. but um I can definitely relate to that and I especially the money aspect of thing because it's really interesting people don't talk about it I remember I had a job ad and they had their how much they were offering and they had um the classic um kind of scale depending on your experience and I never Mm. really know what that means and then I had the interview and um I was really unsure if I was to ask about the salary because some people say yes go for it Mm. um you should definitely you know know your worth as a designer and then Mm. other people would say absolutely not you should you shouldn't do that Um, Mm. and I had my interview and I I did decide to ask about it and um, they seemed really um, off put by it but the salary they actually said didn't match the job advert and I thought that was really strange and I I mentioned that that's not what they said in the first place and they said no we're, we're not moving because you'd be coming in as a junior but I just I thought that was really interesting that that was even my first job interview as well Mm. I just don't understand
1: why why put the range on and I think the putting a salary range on a job ad is helpful because it means you get the right applicants Mm -hmm. that's that's the reason for job adverts is so you get the right people applying Mm -hmm. and then you're choosing from the right pot of people but I think it's a You hear a lot of people saying, let's have full transparency. You know, there's there's lots of stickiness around money and wages. And then you ask them what they earn. Mm -hmm. And then there's like a tumbleweed
0: moment. Exactly.
1: So the hypocrisy is what drives me insane. Mm -hmm. So that's what I try to do on an episode is I try to weed out any hypocrisy. So if you think that, how how are you walking that? It's all well and good just talking it, but what are you actually doing?
0: yeah do you feel nervous at all to start your podcast because I definitely feel nervous to start this one because I really want to get those conversations going and bring creatives together but it could also turn the other way and start revealing things about people I wondered if you had any of those thoughts perhaps that I do as well I think I think we have to not be precious about it and I think
1: that's (laughs) sadly the way it goes and when you think about the podcasts you listen to sometimes they're just rambling and sometimes you tune out and you tune back in and people might not be listening to us right now and that's just the way it goes Mm -hmm. and um, what you and I find interesting might not be what someone else finds interesting so I'm trying not to overthink it and also I listened back to the episode my first episode I recorded and then I listened back to the last episode I recorded
0: mm-hmm. is it better
1: yeah and that's just life because that's how you learn yeah. so yes I was nervous I is sort of why I launched before I had an episode recorded I just wanted to make sure that there was mm. interest yeah. um And I'm glad I did because it's a lot of work and it's a lot of effort and if you didn't think people were going to listen at the other end of it I'm like Mm what I would have I would have given it up probably um I think it's about taking your own ego out of it a bit as well yeah I I kind of hide in NDA I hide as the host and I don't have an opinion even though I'm quite an opinionated person so (laughs) that helps I just let everyone else kind of run the show and I steer the ship so by detaching myself a little bit Mm -hmm. it's all this that maybe this is a bit of a weird thing to say but the onus on the guests for the content yeah um but I don't know best laid plans we'll see (laughs) (laughs) do you feel like you're getting a little bit more comfortable the more you do
0: yeah even though this is my third one I, I I've definitely notice a difference from the first episode and it's just it's one of those things I definitely really struggled with um through all of my education is that leaning into and giving yourself the patience that you you will get better and it's it's the time because there's almost this pressure that you have to be instantly good at something nowadays Mm. so it's it's really nice to hear that from somebody else actually (laughs) Are there any other times or perhaps like really big moments in your career so far that you feel really nervous about? Because I I think that's not really talked about either, but you just don't see the behind the scenes of people working on projects they're perhaps really nervous about.
1: Mm. Took me a long time to, to find the right mixture of, what's the way of describing this? there is a little bit of healthy competition in the studio because everyone's trying to do the best work and I think Mm -hmm. I got that wrong for a long time and now I I'm just kind of in awe of great designers around me Mm -hmm. and kind of use that to better myself but can be kind of confidence crushing to start with if you have two or three projects in a row where one of your concepts doesn't get chosen Mm -hmm. and you start to doubt your abilities yeah so I think that's quite nervy um I've never negotiated pay Mm -hmm. Uh, and I say all the time that I mean I am transparent with what I've historically earned Mm -hmm. but I also need to be transparent about the fact that when I'm in that room I find it very 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 difficult to know my worth and I've always relied on other people to tell me what I'm worth which has meant that I was paid less than my peer on the same level Mm -hmm. and I when I found that out that should really be the kick up the bum to say you need to be fighting your own corner here because he is and you didn't and the difference is 10k Mm -hmm. and that's so I'm very very nervous still around conversations with money and I think that's because I grew up with none and it's just a sticky, Mm -hmm. sticky subject for me. And I don't, you know, I don't know if I'll ever get really good at it. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's still on my to-do list to figure out how to have those conversations in like a more constructive Mm -hmm. way.
0: I also wondered, because I know that you identify as she, her. Mm -hmm. um, I wondered if perhaps that identification is perhaps also a factor of that as well because we hear all these horror stories as um, women um, in education that it is predominantly white males and the conversations around pay as a woman is really Mm -hmm. difficult and I wondered if you'd be able to squish that, or you'd be able to tell me that is true, but this is how I've been dealing with it so far. Because it's it's a really hot topic, but there seems to be a massive range of opinions about it, actually.
1: I think that it's impossible to ignore the gender pay gap. Yeah. But when you acknowledge it, you also have to acknowledge that gender is a fluid... Mm-hmm. construct now and yeah. I do identify with a lot of the traditionally femme attributes yeah which is I really like empathy and emotion and mm-hmm. um yeah a lot of those like kind of historically yeah. female assigned characteristics which I think make me a bad <laughs> a bad negotiator and they make me a bad person to fight for my fight for myself I have absolutely seen misogyny throughout Mm -hmm. the industry
0: Mm
1: there the the representation is slightly better now than when I graduated
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Jamie took me to lots of award dues and charity events and design Mm -hmm. events when we first graduated I would always be one of the only juniors there and I would always be one of three women in a group of 20 guys
0: Mm.
1: and that was difficult and I think that that you you take that in you you take in that you're a minority and I'm not really a minority you know I'm a white woman and there um so there's privilege that comes with that but Mm. yeah I I think it absolutely is a problem. And I think pay is one of the easiest markers of that divide and of that issue. But I would argue, and again, this probably comes from a place of privilege because I'm at a point in my career where I'm mm-hmm. earning enough. And also I'm not mo- money motivated as is mm-hmm. apparent by how little <laughs> I've done about what I earn. I care more about feeling like the, the lesser of my, in my kind of group of colleagues impacts my work
0: yeah
1: I when I feel like I have additional pressure and scrutiny Mm
0: -hmm. my
1: work's not as good so I do my best work when I feel comfortable so I can be brave and that's where I think women drop out and don't end up into leadership that they have this additional scrutiny and they have to prove themselves just honestly exponentially more than the men around them and I will say that until I'm blue in the face and the men mm. that I work with will argue that it isn't true. Mm. I, you cannot say that from their shoes mm. and it is internalized bias and it is everywhere. So I wish I could give you that like message of optimism. Yeah. Um, but sadly, I don't, I don't think it's there. I don't think yeah. we're there yet, honestly. And that's, let not even saying about the other kind of minoritized groups like people of color Mm. and people who aren't able-bodied and the queer community yeah you know there's a lot of work there's a lot of work to do
0: yeah it's just so frustrating to think about because it just it's just so tiring after a while Mm. just to think about those people in those positions and to think that people won't listen or will say that's not at all the case it's it's so frustrating because you just don't feel heard and nobody should be made to feel that way at all but it almost um puts people like me off to enter the industry and I think I think that's really Mm. sad
1: I think you just have to that's a responsibility for, for me and my generation.
0: Yeah.
1: If I see things in the studio that I'm calling them out, mm-hmm. that I'm empowering the younger designers. it's something very simple, but how, um, I just thinking how to word this. There was a, a difference in how I was addressed over Slack and how my counterparts were addressed over Slack. Mm-hmm. And when it's written down, in black and white like that that feels like tangible proof Mm -hmm. so I went to leadership and said you're talking to them like this and you're talking to me like this do you do you know that you are because I don't think you're bad people I want you to see the discrepancy and I want you to see and think about how that is coming across to our younger female team yeah and All I can do is keep finding those little moments, sadly, where we need to have physical, tangible evidence Mm. that there's a difference in how we're treated and raise it. Mm. And it's that classic saying, isn't it, is you've got to leave the door open behind you. I think you've got to try and push people through the door behind you. I think that is something that we need to be really active about. I think a good dose of optimism, though, you know, you need it and it's not all doom and gloom. Mm -hmm. but yeah it's like I need to be realistic I think about about my experiences
0: I wonder if you had anything that you might tell your younger self
1: oh wow that's terrifying isn't it Mm -hmm. um I think that some of the some of the qualities that I think were bad in me Mm -hmm. that you I was fine to lean into them yeah that you can absolutely manage a team in a way that is sort of I hate to use the word maternal um but soft, softer yeah. and that doesn't make you any less strong as
0: mm-hmm. a
1: leader um that it's fine to need validation and you can mm-hmm. just ask for it yeah um that if you want to wear sparkly pink shoes you can you don't have to wear New Balance (laughs) (laughs) I you know all these kind of they seem really small but they all contribute to feeling Mm. like you're not
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you're not the right fit Mm -hmm. Um, so I think I would just say it doesn't really matter how you do what you do what you look like when you're doing it yeah. the end result will actually be the same. And I think if I'd have learned that a little bit sooner, I mm. wouldn't have taken me so long to get to this point of feeling very, very comfortable in in who I am. So, yeah, I think that's what I would say.
0: I wondered what you might tell your older self. This seems to catch people out because they don't often think about what they might tell their older self. I'm not going
1: to get any older, am I? Surely I'm going to stop <laughs> aging
0: here. 30's lovely. <laughs>
1: Um, my older self, I think that I just hope that I'm still striving for balance, mm-hmm. and how I used to think of impacting the design industry and impacting the world with design mm-hmm. might be smaller moments than I had imagined, mm-hmm. and I hope that I continue to have those one on one conversations with people and they're just as important as standing on the stage at a conference. So, mm-hmm. I hope that I haven't lost sight of the things that make me really happy and haven't fallen back into that trap of I need to be working for the biggest, best agency in the land, and I need to be mm-hmm. a DNA judge, and I need to, you know X, Y, and Z. Because it, yeah. in this current moment, I these they are not things I care about. Mm-hmm. But I think you could really easily let your ego get the better of you. So. Mm-hmm yeah I guess to my older self it would be are you still trying to be as authentic as possible Mm. What it's like a time capsule (laughs) (laughs) it's like that um Billie Eilish video you know when they ask her the same questions every year and she has to answer them
0: Yeah. yeah well thank you so much for being such an amazing guest uh thank you for your pearls of wisdom and Your honesty, because it is really valued.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been great.
0: No worries. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really cannot thank Katie enough for her honesty. Do check out the NDA podcast; it's definitely worth the listen. See you next time for another chat. Bye!